Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on our third episode of Health Connect South Radio. We're joined in studio, as always, by my friends and colleagues, Krista Baruti on the Good board. Good morning. Off C. to a Debbie. fantastic <laughs> flying start, as usual. As usual, Woo. as usual. Woo, here we go. And we're all celebrating. We, we sat around before we went on air today talking about what secondary route did you use because the, the traffic was terrible. And in fact, one of our guests is caught up in the traffic and she'll be jumping in here just a little bit later. But uh, uh, get around and uh, introduce the guest that we do have with us here, uh, my co-host and uh, one of the folks that's making this possible from Sherwood Media Group. We have Diana Keo. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And she knows pretty much everybody at the table, so why don't you uh, introduce us this morning? I will. To my left is friend and um, also colleague that is also part of what we're t- going to be talking about, Lucy Ide. She's the CEO of Remedy. Um, also joining us is Carl Smith, who is with a great organization here in Georgia called GCAP. So, you know what I would like to do while we're waiting for Nazira to join us is actually have um, each of our guests that are here in the studio actually tell us a little bit about their organizations. Carl, do you want to start us? Sure. So, again, um, I'm Carl Smith with uh, Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Power and Potential. Um, GCAP has been around, this is actually our 20th year. We're having our 20-year anniversary this year, and um, we are focused on two primary areas of interest. Uh, the first is reproductive health, and the second, which I represent, is the nutrition and physical activity uh, program. It's actually been titled uh, recently, um, Power Moves. We're currently focusing on working with uh, faith-based organizations in the Vine City and English Avenue communities, um, which is south of the Dome, if you guys are familiar with that area. And um, it's it's been going through a revitalization period over the last few years, but it's still considered a food oasis, which means that it's very difficult uh, and sometimes almost impossible for residents in this community to actually receive uh, healthy foods. And when we say healthy foods, we're looking at whole foods, so fruits, vegetables, um, anything other than packaged or canned uh, foods would be considered whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We go into these into, into this community and actually create um, programs working with our community-based organization partners, uh, programs that help them get access to Whole Foods as well as access to uh, physical activity programs because this is a gym desert as well. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it is uh, very vital that um, we maintain uh, programs in this community that are effective and efficient and we offer technical assistance uh, financial assistance as well to make sure the programs are successful and they can last um, f- 
far and beyond GCAP's involvement. I've never heard that kind of a term, calling it a gym desert. So there's just not there's just not a, a good number of them available for kids to go and have some physical activity. In that area, there is actually only one. Um, it's called Urban Perform, uh, and they are the only gym in that location, actually. Wow. And, you know, when we were growing up, having a gym really didn't matter. It was more of a, the fact that we actually played outside. So, right. you know, in that area, or actually throughout every region now, it's almost impossible or kids are not being sent outside to play anymore. Well, they? you have to understand in this environment that we're looking at in Vine City English Avenue, um, we have a couple of factors that prevent kids from going outside. So we have crime, mm-hmm. um, transportation. So even getting to a, a local gym would be difficult um, because transportation is a problem. Um, you have unemployment, you have uh, senior care, child care. So there's a lot of issues that prevent people from going outside and actually just playing. As you said, we used to do when we were younger. Um, that's no longer an option. So um, for there to be uh, programs actually set up and managed is, is important because that, that's the only way, that's the only time they actually get to go out and play. It's interesting that you would, um, as opposed to any other program or the government going in and kind of setting up stuff, that you're actually working with faith-based organizations. Why that business model as opposed to anything else? Well, when we first started, so GCAP has been around for 20 years, but um, our nutrition and physical activity program uh, is only two years old. It started in 2013, which is good because we were able to see what's going on in the uh, community currently. Um, And working with some of our community uh, organization partners, they already mentioned to us that, you know, they're in the schools. They're, um, they're working with the community centers, um, but they're having a problem and they're, ha- they're finding difficulty building the relationships with the faith-based organizations in that community. Um, and they felt that it would be beneficial if there was an organization that that sole purpose was to work with the faith-based organizations and build this relationship because it is it takes time. And, um, and that's what we have, that's where we found our niche. We, we thought that, that there was a, a hole and we filled it. It sounds like a great strategy, I think, you know, with that access. And I would think that there's a good measure of influence coming from those organizations that would be able to pull kids in and, and help them to want to be there and join each other there and be active. So it's a great strategy, I think. Definitely. Now, if you think about this, there's about 30 uh, churches in this community. Um, and if we look at these churches as not just places of worship, but also places of community. Yep. Um, you probably have one on every block. Mm-hmm. So if transportation is a problem, if you can just walk across the street to your local church, that takes that problem away. Um, crime, if that's a problem, again, right across the street, these are people that you know you see every day, yeah. that takes away that problem. It's a, it's a place of refuge. Yeah. As, as it relates to the communities that you're starting this initiative with, uh, have you found that some of the churches actually have either playgrounds or, or gyms? I know that depending on where you are, I mean, some of the larger churches around the metro I know have um, basketball gyms and things like that. I, I realize that's not everywhere, but um, is, is that available in some of the areas where you're starting? So that's that's our goal is to build up their capacity to have those um, available facilities. Uh-huh. So uh, they may have um, a basketball, but no court. You know, so you can play, you know, maybe uh, (laughs) you could bounce the ball around, but there's no availability to actually play basketball, the sport. Um, You know, so they may have small equipment uh, here and they're just sparsely scattered around, but Mm -hmm. nothing that is um, capable of creating, sustaining 
programs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we would like to, you know, offer them the opportunity to further develop their programming opportunities. So along those lines, you know, with the, the kind of being in a food desert and a gym desert, what health problems come out of that type that type of situation? So our focus right now is childhood obesity. And with childhood obesity, we are looking at uh, so many problems that children should not face, should not have to even think about as children. Um, for example, the reason why we're here today is diabetes. Mm-hmm. And um, adult onset diabetes, type 2 diabetes, is, is exactly that. It should be adult onset diabetes, but children are getting diabetes as early as four, five, six years old. And um, the inability to exercise or eat appropriately uh, affects that. And um, the research shows that. And anecdotally, you'll see that if you if you go and you eat every day, uh, I think the other day we had a meeting and uh, the, the term that was used, it was a, a Cheetos, spicy Cheetos, I think it was. Hot Cheetos. Hot, Hot Cheetos. Cheetos, there you go, yeah. And, um, and I'm not in the school, so I don't see this often, but um, apparently Hot Cheetos is the, that's where they're getting all of their nutrition from, you know, breakfast. Or at least filling their stomach with it. Yes, breakfast, lunch, and then who knows what they're eating for dinner, you know, and, and that's it. So um, if that store where they purchased, uh, you know, those Hot Cheetos, if they had apples, bananas, oranges, if they had some alternatives other than um, just hot Cheetos or whatever other uh, snack food is available, um, then we would be able to help those individuals eat healthier. Um, and again, outside of the school, if they had an opportunity to now exercise, um, then that, again, would make them healthier. So, um, yeah, though, being a gym desert and a food desert is, is a problem and um, definitely has to be addressed. Well, before we get much deeper into the whole diabetes, I wanted to come back to Lucy and have her tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing. Sure. So I run Remedy Diabetes. We are a health IT company focused on diabetes management. And um, we create software that helps patients work more effectively with their healthcare providers and really partner together for all the necessary steps um, to make diabetes management more efficient and more effective. And I noticed that Carl used those words as well, and I think we all share that goal around how do we bring efficiency and effectiveness to programs that are in place. And diabetes is a great example of that, that there's a lot of money spent on diabetes management, and the results just aren't there to show for it. And so how do we better leverage data? Uh, So we are a cloud-based software application, leveraging all of the quantified self-devices we all wear some of the new medical devices that are connected to the cloud, connected to smartphones. So we have this tremendous ability to get data from consumers to their healthcare providers. And then we have specific um, decision support and algorithms around how to use that data and make that efficient for healthcare providers to really understand their patient population and make targeted decisions about their management. I'm curious about that as it relates to, you're talking about wearables and different sources of data. Um, And I'm just now beginning to kind of it's, I, I won't say educated just yet about cloud and how it works in terms of uh, where the who has access to what 
data, but uh, that's something that what you're just talking about is I, I find interesting in that um, how, where does this data go to from all these different devices? Because from my limited understanding, which is clearly limited, it's being illuminated now, that there may be a bit of a data lake for, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, that is somewhat generalized from a variety of sources that someone could access, such as yourself, to be able to make some decisions or or pull that or pull that out and to draw a picture from it. I didn't realize that if I'm not part of a given organization that I could actually access certain data elements that are in the cloud. Is that... So in our case, it's always consumer driven. Mm -hmm. So if I um, am a consumer with diabetes and I'm using Remedy's application, I grant permission to share my Fitbit data if that's my fitness I tracker. see. So I've got to be using your application and that's how you're getting the data then. That's how we are getting the data okay. is you're using okay. our application. Okay, I just yeah. misunderstood how it worked. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool to be able to have kind of some generalized data sitting out there. I, in the end, I think that hopefully we can kind of go in that direction a little bit. If you can scrub certain identifying elements off of a data, this is C.W. Hall's you know, glucose level, but mm -hmm. uh, and rather it's just a glucose level of a 47-year-old male, um, it seems like we can then begin to make some – serious use of that data that, uh, you know, gives us a massive population or a massive sample size that we can really draw some pictures from. But yeah. not, to get this, case, not to diverge, but... No, no, but it, I think it's both, right? It's having that um, individualized data and trying to create a complete picture of that individual, their glucose data, their activity, their nutrition, everything about them that helps them and helps their healthcare team understand why they are or are not able to better manage their diabetes. But then there's the de-identified layer of data. You know, we pull all of that data together, we scrub off all the personally identifiable okay. information, and say, what can we learn from that? And let's um, explain what makes your app and your application so much different than maybe other players in the field. So it's really, um, it, there are a lot of people doing this data aggregation and pulling together glucose monitoring data with fitness tracking and nutritional data. But then the question is, what are you doing with that data? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants the data. Um, it doesn't help a doctor or a nurse if we just push through a bunch of data to them because they don't have time to right. call through that and to understand it. And so our um, sort of unique approach and algorithms are around how do we make that data very actionable? How do we create a very clear picture of this is this patient? Here's where I would like for them to be. It's indicated by you know targets that have been set by the American Diabetes Association and others that we know will help them avoid long-term consequences of poorly managed diabetes. And then I just do a you know, visual comparison. Here they are, here's where I want them to be, what changes do I need to make? And so we let them model medical decision-making and say which targeted decision is right for this patient. With your application, how are you letting the diabetic in the, in the community know this is here, or the, the person that's trying to you know, modify their behaviors either to prevent it or, or to improve their, their clinical situation? How are you getting the word out? Mm -hmm. This is available to you, and, and this can help you modify and maybe reduce the level of you know, either insulin that you're having to use or medications that you're having to use and so forth. So in order to provide that connectivity to their healthcare provider that we think is really key, we're not coming in and trying to replace the healthcare team with an app. Right. We have to come through the enterprise, either through the health system, through the clinic, okay. or we're working with large employers who have health clinics for their employees on site and making it available through their employers, the so health benefit. the providers or the employers are saying, hey, we've got this application available to you. You, mm -hmm. can, you can use it to your benefit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you listen to what Carl is doing with the health-based, how does 
what you're doing work in his community or how do they work together here? I mean, I think as I listen to Carl, the fundamental challenge, and I'm going to bleed over into what we're going to talk about today when Nazira gets here, is as children, people aren't able to establish good habits, right? If they live in a food desert, if they live in a gym desert, they're not building those habits at a young age. And an immediate consequence of that may be childhood obesity. Unfortunately, we're seeing sort of more immediate consequences, a little bit of diabetes at a younger and younger age. But even if, even if they don't develop overt type 2 diabetes, they're at a huge risk of developing type 2 diabetes and other mm-hmm. chronic conditions later in life. So I think that's um, you know, what pains me listening to him because it's so much easier to develop a good habit than to break a bad habit. Mm-hmm. And the bad news is that the traffic won and Nazir is going to have to join us another day, unfortunately. So you know, we'll have to kind of pull from what we know about what they're doing with the Fulton County's efforts to affect the county's uh, situation well, as it relates to it diabetes. It works out well since both of us or all three of us have been in it yeah. since the very beginning. So, But just some, some interesting statistics just to kind of you know show the scope of what we're talking about. For looking at the CDC, uh, talking about 29.1 million people or 9.3% of the population of the United States have diabetes. And of that group, they're saying that as many as... 8 million don't know they have it. So 20, just under 28% of the people, almost a third, don't even realize that they're having diabetes. So doing things like what we're talking about here, whether, whether you're trying to prevent obesity and kind of as a secondary function of that, affecting the rate of uh, kids and young people developing diabetes, uh, it's clearly a, a, a huge problem because we know downstream from having diabetes comes heart disease, stroke, um, ser- serious health costs um, that at trying to treat those people as they develop those types of issues. So being able to get preventive, like we're talking about here, is going to have a huge cost savings benefit to the, to the nation's health. Um, and obviously to just people's outcomes in general, that's a huge volume of people, almost 10% of our population. Well, and, and even I think more dramatic statistic is that at current trends, many people believe one in three children today will grow up to have diabetes mm-hmm. in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I was, I've, I've heard statistics that by, I think it's either 2030, 2050, I can't remember which, but near near half of our population will be obese. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's about right. Um, and, and obviously some huge function of that, I don't know what the statistics are of obese patients that have diabetes, but I mean, just imagine with half of our population is having challenges with obesity, then obviously the, the rate of uh, morbidity for people with diabetes is going to be right there with it. So it's a huge problem. So it's great to see that we're, we're starting to get active in our community level to affect that. And, and from the, we talked a little bit about how is it being received? Um, you know, can we talk talk about that? How are, how are you with your application? Um, and then, of course, obviously with the programs, talk about kind of how people are jumping in and starting to use these things. Well, I think it would be because um, Lucy was really with Nazira when this all came up. So, mm-hmm. you know, talk. we're actually today we're talking about the Diabetes Prevention Design Team, yeah. which is really a local Fulton County initiative um, that's really a grassroots. And the reason I love what we're doing is because it is grassroots. It's not, it's a coalition that Nazira has really pulled together. And I admire the fact that she has done that with Lucy's help and with Carl's help as well. So Lucy, I just kind of wanted to start there. How did, how did this come about? And just kind of explain the genesis of the whole idea. Sure. So 
Nazira, um, when we first had this idea of how do we get organizations across the community, small companies like mine, large companies, community organizations like GCAP and others, to all sort of bring what we have to offer to the table and collaborate and figure out what impact we could have on diabetes in our community. And there's a model of sort of population health of diabetes that Nazira brought that I think is fantastic, and it's the bathtub model. And so if you think of a bathtub filling up, there are two things that affect that, how fast the water's flowing in and how fast the water's flowing out. Mm -hmm. And we're actually getting better at treating diabetes. People are living longer with diabetes, so that outflow is kind of slowed, which leads to more people with diabetes. So the only option is to turn off the faucet. Right. And so as we sat down as a group and we said, how can we impact the faucet? How can we impact kids you know, or, or individuals who are becoming diagnosed with diabetes? Well, we really have to back up to children. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's been a lot of great work on childhood obesity, the uh, Michelle Obama Let's Move, and has brought a lot of attention to it. But we sort of stepped back and we said, is there something missing? You know, there, Everyone talks about childhood obesity, but what's really the problem with childhood obesity? Is it obesity in and of itself? You know, is it bullying of kids who are obese? Yes, that's a problem, and there are people who focus on that. But what are the consequences, and do children and their parents really understand that the consequences of childhood obesity are these lifelong health conditions? Mm. And it's, I think the thing, one of the things that is, it makes it so difficult to to deal with is it's insidious. It's it's over time, and and, um, you don't necessarily, I mean, some people are born obese, for sure, but many of us become obese or overweight over time, and and it's somewhat painless to do that. So it's it's hard to, I think, understand the the long-term effect of what this is doing to me until all of a sudden, boom, now you have a real health problem that that you're having to deal with so but I the difference is, is as an adult you're making your own choices mm-hmm. and so why yeah, making what, choices for your yeah, kids and so the yeah. the the focus of this group is children because they're not often making their own choices they're being taught most of us learned our habits based on right. what we were taught and so you know the the whole thinking is how can we actually really make a difference and make a change and so this this group, you know, um, has come together to just kind of brainstorm and then actually come up with a plan to actually make a change. So I, I just wanted to have Carl kind of add to that. Sure. So, um, you know, again, to uh, pull from Nazira's work, um, one of the things she talks about a lot is uh, policy systems and environmental changes. And, um, and, and when we say change, I think we have to be very specific in regards to what types of changes we're looking for. And... Um, when you think about policy systems and environmental changes, bringing in Fulton County allows us that opportunity to have our smaller voices come together and make a large voice, make a large roar that actually can bring that change. Um, So with the work that we're doing um, with the diabetes uh, uh, group is that it allows us to now make those changes on a a broader level. So, I don't know if we're going to get into the um, the PSA work that we're working with. Well, that's what so, I was going to ask: okay. is from the county's perspective, from Fulton County, mm-hmm. is that kind of the role and and the the piece that they're trying to focus on from the county's perspective is public service and and awareness, helping provide information into the community. Is that is that kind of what their focus is, it, or is it elsewhere? It, it's 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 on bringing that awareness out there to the community. But again, um, it, 
after the awareness, there has to come. There has to be a a formula for yeah, getting an action done, plan, an action yeah, plan, yeah. and and that's what we're we're here for to pull those our resources together to create change. And as a hurdle, obviously, we talked about the fact that um, as it relates to your initiative uh, with uh, GCAP, that there's a there's a lack of facilities, for example, that would facilitate kids being able to be more active year round, um, and there is limited access for them to get the whole foods that we know are you know the best way to help prevent or fight you know, either obese, obesity and or uh, diabetes as a function of that. What about, you know, just collectively, what other hurdles are we finding that kind of get in the way of us being able to move forward a little bit more effectively that we, maybe we can address somehow? I mean, I think the first hurdle is this fundamental lack of awareness. Um, when we, so we're, we have developed and we are working on this public service announcement awareness campaign. When we started that process in partnership with Sherwick and Diana's team, we went into some of the after-school programs and we said to these kids, you know, can we talk to you about diabetes? And, you know, the numbers tell you some of the kids, if you take a large enough group, are going to have diabetes in their household. None of them knew what it was. I mean, we couldn't even have a basic conversation of who in your family has diabetes, what is that like? They, they had no what idea. Is it? What is it? They didn't, and <laughs> yeah. that was where we That's started. Amazing. And so when we, you know, that was actually going to be what we were getting on camera to actually have these kids explaining what they understood about grandma or mom, grandma, great grandma, and all of the people that they knew in church. They couldn't, there was, they knew nothing. nothing. I mean, is it a matter in, in, in something, in some perspective? perspective is it uh, dealing with the the lingo if you will we call it diabetes but some people may think of it as sugar you know what i'm saying my my blood sugar or i have problems with my sugar you know what i'm saying even so they really really couldn't you know articulate that anyone in their house had a problem with their sugar Uh even if you put it in that language um and specifically we're interested in kids who live in households with you know an adult or family member who has type 2 diabetes because those children are at a higher risk right they have a genetic risk, and then they have an environmental risk, that they're growing up in a household that environmentally has led that family member to develop over type 2 diabetes. And so we felt like those, you know, the highest yield kids we can target are those who have it in their immediate environment and have it in their immediate family. And um, I'll speak briefly to sort of some of our inspiration was around looking back at the smoking cessation campaign when I was a child, when a lot of us were children, yeah. in the school system. and. Um, what tremendous awareness that built for all of us around tobacco use and cessation. And those educators saying to the kids, you know, don't smoke, it's bad for you, it causes cancer, et cetera, et cetera, but go home and tell your parents not to smoke. And not only tell them not to smoke, but also draw those circles around. Remember, we were told to draw the circles around the cigarettes on where they should really, if they're going to continue, they should stop here. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I remember getting my dad's cigarettes and drawing circles around Olive and of course you know I'd hear him his booming voice Diana why are you in my cigarettes again but we were taught we were told to do that in school wow and so how can we have that level of impact you know using kids right. and educating the kids but using those kids to educate their families yeah and and I know that uh, the, the kids enjoy uh, to a certain extent especially when you start young enough they they do enjoy participating in that and and, and I think that kids enjoy thinking about the fact that they could help their mom or dad or grandmother Mm -hmm. uh, by giving them information that they've learned. I I know, you know, my kid is 11 and she enjoys when she's learned something that might help us. 
wants to share it. So I think that that's a powerful tool. This is uh, Health Connect South Radio. We've been talking to Dr. Lucy Ide, CEO of Remedy, and Carl Smith um, of GCAP, and we've been trying to talk about strategies that can um, help us reduce the rate of, of diabetes as it occurs in our community. Obviously, huge health costs and financial costs to our, uh, our, our health system to deal with this issue. And uh, we're trying to come up with some good ways that we might be able to potentiate the initiatives that are underway here. Obviously, we've got a, a grassroots level uh, initiative underway that's trying to get kids greater access to healthy activities, uh, greater access to uh, better food uh, sources that they could use uh, to replace some of the processed foods and fast foods and non-foods that we can, can consume when we're young people. Um, and obviously remedy with the application that you have uh, developed that's helping people to kind of see what, what are their behaviors doing with their, uh, with their health information. They can see it changing as they change their behaviors. And, and as it relates to the app, are you finding that as people use it that they are beginning to report I'm walking more, or I'm doing different things to try to see what they can do with their information to see if it's changing in relation to their activities. Right. I mean, it's all about behavior change. And so yeah. we try to help them have a better understanding of cause and effect. You know, it's the same education we're trying to do with these kids. You know, what effect does food and exercise have on your body? And once someone actually has diabetes, that's really a keen focus of what decisions are you making around your activity, the food you're eating, and the medication you're taking. And how is that affecting your ability to manage your blood glucose? And yes, people start to say, gosh, I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that it mattered that I took my medication at that specific time. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I didn't really realize what an impact that, you know, stop through the drive through was having until I started comparing that to days when I didn't do that. So can you talk about from the application perspective, does it kind of guide me a little bit with some tips or different ways that I might be able to kind of modulate my response to uh, activity or, and what my blood glucose levels are and things like that? Sure. So there's plenty of education through the application for the consumer to really, um, you know, support that understanding of, you know, the activities and the behaviors and the lifestyle choices, um, as well as the effect of their medications. But then I think equally important is the high touch, you know, having a health coach, a diabetes educator, a physician, reviewing that data and giving them targeted feedback as well from a medical point of view. And when you are interfacing with the health community to talk to them about the availability of such a tool, are you finding that it's being, you know, well received? Are they are they opening up to making this available to their patient populations? Or are you getting pushback? You know, I think this is a whole new territory of you know health IT and the use of technology and applications like this in the practice of medicine. So we're sort of on the frontier of that, and um, everybody's used to using an electronic health record at this point, mm -hmm. but. The use of this wearable data, you know, the, from the wearable sensors, how do you use that in medicine? I mean, that's an entirely new frontier that we're sort of just going into and people are trying to get their head around how to integrate that into their medical practice. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be on the rise, obviously, because now everybody, everybody's coming out with some kind of wearable. The phone makers, obviously, um, uh, with iPhone, and they've got their watch and things like that, and obviously Fitbit, and and, and you name the, the others that are out there that are available. So it's going to be on the rise, and I'm sure that more of them are going to be taking part in trying to integrate that into their care guidance. And it's interesting on, you know, again, the work that both GCAP and Lucy and you know, are doing in the di diabetes field and the obesity field all has to do with this 
diabetes prevention design team that has come together. So, mm -hmm. you know, I want both of you to talk about, again, this grassroots is so interesting, especially in Fulton County, which, you know, is really known for people that don't work together. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's all, there's a ton of organizations. In fact, I didn't know how many organizations there were until I go to these meetings every single month. So talk to me a little bit about who else is in this di diabetes prevention design team. Sure. Um, let's see if I can remember the, uh, the names. Um, but we have uh, the uh, CLC, um, Community Life Concepts, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, they operate after school programs. After school programs. Um, we have the, the Logan Wilkes Foundation. They also do after school programs mm -hmm. and um, in school programs. And we don't need the, the names, just the, kind of the, the type of organization. School, school nurses, school principals from Fulton County. We've had CHOA come to some of the Children's Hospital Children. of Atlanta mm -hmm. um, at some of the meetings. Um, and Emory. we've had Alir. Yeah, Emory is helping yeah. us with a lot of the research that is going on. Right, the Emory uh, School of Public Health. Mm -hmm. um, Alir has been part of this. So really spanning community organizations, academic institutions, after, you know, um, large corporations and small corporations like, you know, Sherwick and Remedy. And I think what's beautiful about it is that there's there's little pretense to, for anyone to have ownership of this and mm -hmm. to be able to put their name on it. And there's very, there's such a collaborative atmosphere of, you know, what can I do? Right. And I think the public service announcement is a great example that Diana and I, just because of the nature of the business we were in, were able to sort of get that going. But we went back to the group last week and said, okay, we have a pilot of this public service announcement, you know, with kids talking about why it matters, why they're at risk of diabetes and what they can do to change that. But now we need everybody else to bring what they have to the table. We need organizations like GCAP and CLC to say, okay, how do we activate around this? What's the mm -hmm. call to action? What are the resources in the community that really, as we touched on early in the program, we need to spark the conversation, but then we need to support people of what are we asking you to do? So when you sit in, in this multifaceted team meeting and you're talking about where we are right now, obviously there's, there's uh, that kind of a frontline approach, being able to interface with the religious organizations, faith-based organizations that are in the community to try to get them involved with spreading the word and helping uh, influence the young people to be more active and try to eat better. Um, what other resources have you identified that you think, gosh, if only we could get XYZ group or XYZ entity to be a little bit more involved in what we're doing, we could really kind of push this forward. I mean, are, are there some that, that we've kind of come across that, that we wish we could get them on board? Gosh, yeah, it's a good question. And I mean, we're each, each month that we get together, there's uh, more organizations and, um, y you know, with the, what um, Carl's organization is doing with the faith-based, and then we have the after-school programs, and there's all those groups that are actually running those after-school programs. Um, having CHOA on board, having the research basically done on a pro bono basis, so we're using a lot of graduate students, we're using interns in public health, we're using um, as much as we can, because you know all of us kind of have an idea of what's going on, we've got data that's being collected, we have on the ground, boots on the ground that know the conditions and can uh, state the stats in their organizations, but we don't have the research. And so as we go forward, we wanted to have the research evidence base to say, 
we're doing this because here are the numbers and this is what we're doing going forward. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, again, the research found that really there is a lack of knowledge on diabetes in this community. I mean, a really big gap of knowledge and it is a problem. And, um, you know, you all kind of jump in here and talk about, we just went through that research results last week and the week before. So, Sure. Um, I think that also what the research found, and, and anecdotally what we find in, in the, um, on the ground is that uh, it's not just what they don't know about diabetes. It's what they don't know about how to prevent diabetes. Um, you know, earlier I talked about uh, lack of whole foods, lack of exercise. They don't know that these things are important. It's, it sounds simple to most um, because it's, you know, if you've lived that lifestyle already, if you exercise on a regular basis, you eat whole foods on a regular basis, it's not really a problem. But um, for children who are not exposed to these things, that information is very important in order to get them on the right track. So um, again, that, that research shows that as well because it just, again, anecdotally, when we did a, um, a project at a, Walmart on um, MLK in the Vine City area. Um, we did demos with fresh foods, and um, we allowed them to watch the food being prepared, um, and we allowed them to taste the food as well, uh, parents and children. And one of the things that we noticed is that certain things the children never had before. For example, we had this one item that had celery in it, and, and they were like, what is this? You know, is this a, an onion? Is, is this, what is this, cabbage? You know, so wow. they had no idea what these things were. So exposing uh, these individuals, children specifically, to these things early on will allow them to eventually not become a statistic. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the goal. Yeah, and so they hear, and this is another thing the research found, they hear healthy, eat healthy. But what is that? But they don't know what that is. And that doesn't sound like they have access to it. How, how do we fix that piece? How do we fix access well, to better better food choices? Well, I think it starts with um, the information. You know, um, I think the PSA is a great start. First, letting them know that there's, there's something out there that you can get and you are susceptible to it right now. And that's diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, chances are someone in your family might have diabetes. And if you get a checkup, you might have diabetes, unfortunately. So that's the first step, letting them know what diabetes is. The second step would then be to afford access to those things that can help them prevent diabetes. Um, you know, but I think we have to start at, at the first step. Mm -hmm. And as part of that education, we are working with the Rollins School of Public Health um, and uh, Children's Hospital on developing this curriculum. So we identified as a group, we brought in principals from Fulton County Schools, the um, one of the school nurses who oversees many of the nurses in the school system and just said, you know, is the school system the right place? And do you have time in the day? Time is a huge constraint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can we fit this into other initiatives, whether it's health class, PE class, science class, to talk about this? And I think that the general consensus was yes. I mean, the school is obviously a touch point. After school programs are another great touch point. But they said, we need, we, we need to know what to teach. We need to know how to teach this to these kids. How do we talk about diabetes on an age-appropriate level? How do we mm -hmm. connect that to obesity? And how do we connect that to these habits that we're trying to change? And so, you know, fundamentally, the diabetes prevention and design team is, you know, trying to build awareness. We're trying to support, you know, how to bring that to the community in an evidence-based way, as um, Diana talked about. And then we need to have the resources to say, okay, 
you spark an interest in these kids. I want to I want to make these healthy decisions. You know, I want to go home and tell my parents that we should eat some celery for dinner tonight. <laughs> um, but how do we? You know, there's a access to resource issue there, and so yeah. how do we tap into organizations like GCAP that are already doing work in that space mm-hmm. and just point people's attention to it? And I think one thing um, you asked about, you know, who else we need at the table. One thing we talked about this week in our meeting is, you know, we need some resources at the table. It, it takes money right. <laughs> to do these things, and everybody is doing this on a pro bono um, basis right now. But in order to sort of activate this campaign, and some of us have a vision of activating it in the way that the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge happened. Right. Well, we wouldn't be raising money necessarily, but we were creating a social media campaign to build awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so members of the community that you know are interested in what we're doing, we're certainly welcome. I was as we've been talking and discussing the fact that we're trying to start young uh, to be able to influence children to influence their family not only themselves but also influence the family that's in the home with them as well. I've just been wondering in my mind. I don't. I don't want to digress too much, but I mean, it. it, it, I wondered what about the sports teams that are part of our community that that put effort into engaging the community on a variety of levels is it possible to help mm-hmm. them be part of that message that uh, there's surely somebody on the sports teams for example that would either a that they, they they or their loved ones are dealing with diabetes um, and perhaps uh, might be able to pull them in as a as a part of the message you know source where 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 it's coming from and obviously a high level of influence over people we're trying to reach so i don't know just it's one of those things that's uh, trying to come up with ideas to see if we can't spread the word more quickly and uh, have it take hold to become action like we've talked about earlier mm-hmm. definitely um I, I think that another thing um that should also be mentioned you, you said just now that there might be an individual in a sports scene that uh might have a family member who is uh, affected by diabetes i think that it's also important for those individuals who are not affected or who do not have anyone who's affected by diabetes to be involved as well because it affects all of us eventually, whether it be with medical costs, right. whether it be with um, you know uh, security, um, it, it's gonna it's gonna touch everyone to some degree at some point. And um, I just went to a uh, a seminar uh, last year, and um, there was an individual there who was representing the um, the armed forces, and he said this is actually a problem, obesity and diabetes, childhood obesity and diabetes, is actually more of a problem for Homeland Security than we actually think that it is because of the fact that these kids, when they're 18 years old and they're trying to go into the qualify, they cannot qualify. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so thought. It, it's bigger than it looks. You know, yeah. it seems so small, and it's like, okay, a couple of kids that um, you know, might be overweight, they might have diabetes, okay, it's not really a big deal. But it's going to affect everyone. Mm-hmm. And if it's not affecting everyone now, it's going to affect everyone very soon. Yeah, the ripples go out pretty far, obviously, yes. mm-hmm. in ways that we wouldn't necessarily think exactly. about. We've been talking with uh, Carl Smith of the Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Power and Potential and uh, Dr. Lucy Ide, uh, CEO of Remedy, uh, learning about ways that we're you know, in the community trying to help reduce the rate that uh, diabetes occurs, uh, trying to improve the outcomes for those when they do develop it, uh, trying to get to things that can influence our young people to be more active and hopefully get better access and make better choices as it relates to the foods that they eat. Um, obviously, a lot of great things are underway. Um, you know, 
going back to the resources that we're trying to get, I mean, if just keep th- I, for me, it's just keep throwing out the ideas that we got to get so and so and so and so as part of this, so we can pull them into our platform here and and talk to them and maybe recruit some people into some of these broader uh, public health related issues that we're trying to solve. Well, and we also at the last meeting um, we have the PSA; it's already produced with the hashtag. I can be the change. So we have it produced, you know, and we're probably going to be running that probably. We are going to be using social media heavily, but we also now need to create a website. Um, and in in addition, because this needs to have a landing page, so the call to action is I can be the change, setting up the social media to basically initiate, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the change and my challenge is going to be to have, you know, my friend Philip be eating an apple for a snack all week long as opposed to whatever. So I'm going to challenge Philip, like the Ice Becca mm-hmm, challenge, mm-hmm. right? But we need a website. So the call to action is to take people to the website that is then going to have that curriculum. So it this is all in the process of being written. The website is being built. And so we need people. Again, we need the resources. We also need people to help with the website. We also need help with the, the curriculum as it's being written as well. And I think other organizations that are out there that are doing work relevant to this, you know, we want them to come to the table and join us. And help us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, part of the call to action is I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel there. There are tremendous things happening in the community. We just need to build awareness around them. So whether it's campaigns around, you know, awareness of healthy eating and activity and making those accessible, there are tremendous things happening in the school system, you know, the gardens and schools and the policy changes of not using food as a reward in the school system. And that's happening in some pockets. It's not universal. We'd love to accelerate that. And we'd love people who are involved in those different initiatives to come to the table because we're ultimately trying to make them more successful at the initiatives that they you know feel passionate about um, and build awareness mm-hmm. around that. So, Do you have anything to add to that, Carl? Definitely. It's, um, it's painless in regards to joining our group um, if, if you are definitely involved in this this area, um, even if it's something that's not specifically uh, physical activity, nutrition, or uh, diabetes related, um, as you can see, Sherwick Media is on board, and um, they are not on the ground. You know, so if you're on the ground working right now, it's 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 painless. It's not going to require, uh, you know, too much of your um, time. Uh, it's, I, I definitely think that it's a rewarding experience to work with other like-minded individuals who are focused on. Uh, bringing a change immediately and not just uh, talking about it. You know, everyone there, they, they put the work in. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a rewarding experience. I think we also made it very clear for those of us attending these meetings. I mean, we're all very busy people. And nobody that's attending these wanted to have an organi- yet another meeting we were going to that <laughs> we were just meeting. Right. We, don't, we have no time to be just meeting. And so it's very action-oriented with action points out of each meeting. So what's the process for the organization, the, 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 the planning team, as far as it relates to pulling in those other organizations? There, there may be other initiatives out there underway in the community. How, how, how is that happening? Is it more a matter of the members of the group that are obviously you know, somewhat well-connected through the city with regards to a variety of different facets of it, but is it kind of that? You're, you're reaching into your networks of contacts to say, hey, we're doing this and kind of spreading it by by your key players like that? Or do you have somebody kind of dedicated to looking into 
what's going on in the community and try to stitch it together. I think Nazira, who couldn't join us today, is really the, the center of this. She has a tremendous network and knowledge of what's happening throughout the community. And I think being with the Fulton County um, Health Department, you know, gives her sort of that visibility. So she is often the person who, through her network, through people who reach out to her, brings people in. But all of us have also brought friends and colleagues to the table. Um, so it, it's a pretty fluid process. I don't think we have anyone sort of targeting, you know, we need a, you know, X type of organization. Let's go find them. But maybe we should be. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a very good idea. So as far as the, um, you know, again, resources, we are always looking for more resources. We're looking for more people to join us. What else are we looking for, guys? Website design. Website, definitely. Yeah. So you're looking for an entity that might be able to actually handle that piece or um, provide some measure of contribution, whether it's funding there's or a, whatever. I think funding, be. and there's a lot of um, you know sweat equity going into this project. Yeah. And yeah. So you know, folks who are just willing to step up and say, "I have that skill set. I can do that, and I'd be happy to help." Mm -hmm. um, I think around the social media, it would be great to have. Um, some folks who they sort of live and breathe social media and they would be excited about helping to drive that social media campaign. Um, I can speak for myself. That is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and it is kind of our strong suit. So, but, uh, you know, to be able to hook into other networks and mm -hmm. have just grow the, the number of influencers in, in certain networks, again, who are like-minded and like-hearted, um, want to see a, a change in the whole diabetes movement. Um, especially, I mean, everybody in this organization is on board that to be able to make a difference, we've got to start younger. We can't be, you know, one of the reasons Lucy's organ, you know, company is so successful is because there's so many adults that have diabetes that need to be managed. So again, her heart, Carl's heart, my heart, everyone's heart in this organization is that we'd like to be out of business when it comes to diabetes management, especially on type two. Sounds like it's going to take us a little while. It, it may. And, and the thing is about um, diabetes is that it's preventable, you know, and, and I think that's it's what tough it, it, it's it can be stopped. It can know? kill you, but it does it so slowly. It's just it's it's that it uh, immortality thing that uh, I'm fine. I'm not I don't have any problems. I'm not sick right now. And but that's I, and why I we think, have to do the awareness. I'm sorry. And I think that's how we ended up with this hashtag of I can be the change. And yeah. the, the message to these kids is really one of empowerment that don't think just because you grew up in a house where, you know, many of your family members have diabetes and that's just sort of what happens to you. It doesn't right. happen to you. You can affect that. You may be at a tremendous risk from a genetic point of view and a family, you know, yes, it runs in your family, but that doesn't mean that you have to develop diabetes. Yeah. Well, I'm always amazed by how fast our time goes. So before we run out of time, share real quickly, just to reiterate for the community members that may be listening, how they can get involved either as a assistant, a volunteer, or a participant with what or you're doing. Or a funder. With, uh, yeah. yeah. How, how can they help you, Carl? Sure. Uh, so GCAP, um, we're currently working in the Vine City English Avenue community. Um, we're kind of under the radar in that community uh, as any other ground, ground uh, gra grassroots organization would be. Um, but we're working with faith-based organizations right now. So if you are with a faith-based organization in the Vine City English Avenue community, um, you're currently interested in starting a health wellness program for your congregation as well as for your community, um, and you are not sure as to how to start, um, we have the resources 
um, we have the knowledge, we have the expertise, and we have the know-how to get your program up and running. Um, I think that uh, the individual that I would reach out to immediately right now would be the um, the pastors of those uh, churches in that Vine City community, um, because I'm looking at a although it's a, it's in a smaller sphere, it's a top-down approach as opposed to going through every individual. Yeah. We're looking at working with those umbrellas, building silos out of these uh, faith-based organizations on every block so that they can basically be that refuge for wellness for the community. If my church is not yet taking part, um, but I want my kid to be able to participate, is that possible? And if so, how do they do that? Definitely. So the churches are, they're, they're working with the community. So every program that we run, it's the responsibility of the church to do a campaign that reaches out to the actual community, not just their congregants. Mm -hmm. And what you'll see with a lot of the churches in this community and any community in general is that people usually go to the church they grew up at. And um, if they move, you know, to Alpharetta, they'll still travel back to that church sometimes because that's where they feel familiar. So we have a lot of transient uh, congregants at these churches. So if the church may have, you know, 300 um, congregants, probably only a hundred of them or less live in that community. But the programs are not just for the congregants, they're for the community as well. So with the uh, the 500 individuals that live in that community, they are now welcome to come to this program, even if they're not a member of the church. So that is, it's it's all, is welcome to all. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's a program where it's, we're not, we're not basically stopping people from coming. We want as many people to come as possible. Is there information on the website that talks about participating church organizations or is the, if they could re get in touch with someone in, there you can kind of guide them yep definitely they can get in co contact with me directly i'm the program manager um give my email yeah go ahead sure uh it's k-a-r-l at gcap g-c-a-p-p -P dot org and the website is www.gcap g-c-a-p-p -P dot org you're on twitter at g underscore CAP, C-A-P-P. I've already linked up uh, with you there so that awesome. uh, you know, folks can you know, find you that way. What about you? Um, sure. So we would love, you know, for members of the community that are interested in what we at Remedy are doing, I'll talk to that for a minute, um, especially healthcare organizations, healthcare providers, um, they would like to know more about our program and how they could make it available to their patients. They are welcome to reach out to me. It's Lucy, L-U-C-I-E, at Remedy, R-I-M-I-D-I.com. Um, I'll also just say in terms of the diabetes prevention and design team, um, I'm happy to be a point of contact for anybody who was interested in joining that group. They can email me at the same address and I'll connect them into the group. Because mm -hmm. um, again, we, you know, we want more thought leadership. We'd like more resources. You know, we want more people at the table to really build that coalition. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it without the community involved. That's right. And so as far as the application goes, do I need to have my provider? It, it, it kind of interfaces through the provider. I can't just necessarily gain benefit from just downloading and using it. Yeah, you know, that's been a difficult road for people who have tried to do that, to, to, to make a um, medical application available to consumers and then have those consumers walk into their physician and say, I love this new app that I'm using. Will you use it too? Right. And uh, physicians and healthcare providers are under such time pressure today that just from a workflow management point of view, that becomes exceedingly different, that I'm going to log into one program for one patient and for my other 39 patients I'm seeing that day, I'm going to log into six other programs. It just doesn't work. And so we feel like to really make it most accessible to consumers, we have to work through the health system. 
I got you. Well, I'm very happy to be able to be a part of what we're doing here, sharing information, trying to help identify resource needs for organizations such as what we've got here in Remedy and GCAP here today. Um, You know, I'm pleased to be here on the mic with you, Diana, from Sharewick Media. Always a pleasure. Uh, if if you have not done so already, please make sure you link up with us on Twitter. The Health Connect South Radio site on Twitter is HealthCon Radio. And uh, we try to link up, as I said, with all of our guests so that we can have uh, a good central place that uh, you can get information from everybody that's been here and learn about what they need and, and how you might be able to help out or take part. Um, what and about I think, you, Diana? Any well, last I, thoughts? Well, the last thought I have is um, if it's okay with the organization – um, we can also make the PSA at this point available on just as a link on the show, um, the recap for the show on the mm-hmm. the radio as well, or the radio recap. And if you're listening, you can also link up with our guests. We make sure to put uh, the social media and LinkedIn type information for all of our guests so that you can get tied in through LinkedIn uh, and be able to collaborate on an ongoing basis after after our show. So that'll be available to you as well for those of you that are listening. Just uh, uh, check out the show's page uh, on healthconnect.businessradiox.com and you'll be able to see um, the LinkedIn contact information for our guests here today. And I just wanted to give one last shout out to Health Connect South. Yeah. It was actually uh, through Health Connect South and Russ Lapari that Nazira and I originally met. Yeah. And this whole idea got started around That's how doing I met the- you. That's how I met Diana. It's been awesome yeah. getting to uh, know some of these people in the, in the health community. And I'm very excited to continue on uh, and bring you even more as we keep going. So make sure that you make an appointment to get up bright and early and see us next week on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock. Anything else for you, Diane? I think that's it. I'm um, I'm thrilled. I mean, really, the concept of Health Connect South is collaboration. Um, and uh, this, this grassroots organization, it's not just for C-suites. It's also for grassroots and to really make a difference in this community. I'm really excited about this organization as excited as I am about Health Connect South and the work that we're doing. That's awesome. Well, thanks to our guests. They're busy people. They've got uh, businesses to run and uh, obviously some initiatives underway that they're really working hard to move forward. So thanks, Carl Smith and Lucy Ide for uh, taking time out of your day. Thank you, Diana Keough of Sherwick Media to uh, help make this program possible today and joining us in the studio. Christopher Rudy, thanks for joining us on the board. Thanks for letting me push your buttons. We'll see you all next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewick.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.